0: Hey, hey, Jordan. How's it going? What's up? What, what's up? Oh, not much. I was just—I um, had DVR'd the. I'm sure you watched this. You know, I know you catch Jimmy Kimmel every single week. Mm-hmm. The interview this week with George W. Bush. I've I recorded it on my DVR. I've been I've watched it a couple times now. Hilarious. Did you catch oh, that?
1: Yeah, it's just it's just so great to see uh, a president with decency. Uh, yeah, it's just it's great.
0: Yeah, just a guy that, you know, in hindsight, I may not have agreed with everything that he did, but someone that respected the office, mm-hmm. that was a respectful person, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of brought this kind of dignity. None of the,
1: none of the tweeting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no, no tweeting. Like, he never tweeted. He was too busy, you know, doing, invading Iraq and Afghanistan in these places. And he was, didn't have time for that. No, I respect doing that about it. the right him. way. Yep. Yeah. Doing things the right way. So I was just appreciate seeing the old guy, you know, um. Anytime he's on TV, I'm always happy to hear from him. Lovely guy. I hope his, his painting career is going well. I'm happy for him. You know, it it brings a smile to my face every time I see him. Giving candy to Michelle Obama. It's just the
1: yeah, one guy. Yeah, love it. Yeah. yeah. More, Re- of gregarious. More of him, please. Yeah. I was clapping in between every word. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like. It's, if only the Republican Party could kind of go back to mm-hmm. what it was like during the George W. Bush era, which, was, as we all remember, was just, like, really great. And... um led to a lot of good things for the people of the United States and the world. And abroad, frankly. yeah. Everywhere yeah. else. Everyone everywhere. loved it when he was in charge. We all loved it. Yeah. Um I've also I also got the Oscars the other night. You could you watch the <sighs> watch the Oscars this year? I do. again I just like Jimmy Kimmel, I know you catch this every single year. I don't know mm-hmm. why I'm asking, but you saw yeah. the saw the Oscars.
1: Yeah, yeah I just I'd love I was watching kind of like super cuts of the best speeches, uh, yeah. you know, year over year and just like, just so great. I just,
0: yeah, yeah, it's really great. I mean, com- conservatives are complaining about how it's becoming all political and everything, but I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit disappointed with, uh, with the best picture it was won by Nomadland. You know, I was hoping that Judas and the Black Messiah would, um, would win that so that was a little unfortunate it's a movie that i would have seen three times if i could have you know nice, um yeah. and just it goes in a long list of the different oscar movies that i've enjoyed over the last couple of years you know oh, like, like just off the top of my head you know like green book that was a mm-hmm. good one classic yeah yeah uh, selma okay. moonlight
1: yeah all of these oh so you're like what about hidden figures i bet you like that one.
0: Oh yeah big time okay yeah i, I love that 12 years a slave yeah, Everyone, you know when someone comes to my house they look at my dvd collection they know that i'm like how the thing what my values are and what i mm-hmm. care about
1: yeah kind of the whole like politics or consumption thing
0: yeah exactly yeah, so like, you know ultimately the oscars it was fun i enjoyed it i enjoyed watching it i loved seeing all the outfits and everything was a little disappointed with the result but you know what can you do it's okay you actually see that i haven't actually seen judas in the black messiah so i'm not sure if i want to have a no. <laughs> no no i think it might be okay i think it might be pretty good i mean a lot of the reviews i've seen are pretty decent people seem um, but, to like it but like as you pointed weird. out it is a weird connection it's a weird connection having like these big corporations start cashing in on on biopics about people like fred hampton mm-hmm. um you have to say, like, even you know, even if it's being treated respectfully, ultimately the sort of purpose of that politically, like, is, is is anything good happening from that? I don't know. I don't know. I would like to see it, though. I would like to see the movie.
1: Rob, I don't watch a lot of movies. I don't do, like, a lot of anything <laughs> uh, with the TV. Yeah. So, no, I know. Uh, I can count on one hand the amount of movies I watched last year, and I think it's, I think it's two. Yeah. I watched Uncut Gems. What did you think of that? And I loved it. <laughs> yeah, that was very really good. I actually think I'm going to watch it again tonight. My partner hasn't seen it so I think we're going to Oh, cool. Streaming thing. You got to get some then, like
0: calming some kind of calming candles
1: or incense Yeah. Going yeah, I think stressful. that's a good movie to help us wind down. I think we might fire it up at like midnight. Yeah, exactly. I think that'll yeah, be good. It's a relaxing evening. <laughs> and then Midsummer was the only other one I saw.
0: Okay. I think. I think.
1: Yeah. I, I don't nothing else stands out.
0: Yeah, I used to be kind of a movie mindset guy. But i feel like having kids has made this more difficult i don't get to go to, i mean there's also a global pandemic it's another reason i don't go to the movie theater that much but mm-hmm. i haven't really been i've been kind of slacking i'm trying to pick up the pace again i'm trying to become a go back to my movie mindset roots so we'll see we'll see how it goes oh you're a big big film guy huh i yeah it was at uh, one point i Rob, tried to, i mean every
1: every minute you spend watching a film is a, a minute you could be gaming
0: <laughs> that's true so i
1: want you to remember that next time you're thinking about going to the movies
0: that is true that's a good that's a good attitude to have yeah like you're kind of letting your friends and your your sort of squad mates down when mm-hmm. you spend other time seeing films you know interacting with your family things like this well, that's true
1: let's just say let's just say hypothetically you're 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 you know you guys are dropping somewhere your your squad mate gets knocked they need to revive they turn to you rob please help i'm running out of health and you are at the theater i mean you're, you yeah. it's it's not just about your enjoyment and your fulfillment and your commitment to the gaming lifestyle it, you're letting your you're letting your your squad down yeah
0: how are we supposed to wipe out tomato town like this it's not going to happen see i knew deep down you understood but <laughs> Folks, it is <laughs> Jesus. It is the Insurgents, episode sixty-six. Uh, Robert So here, along with Jordan Ewell. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning hey, Rob, in. Hey, how, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm just kind of <laughs> skipping that whole, that whole bit.
1: <laughs> um, figured I'd wait a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. Well, I've got to move this along. You know, I'm trying to be a professional host here. Um, mm-hmm. if you noticed that we did not put out an episode last week. You would actually be incorrect. We did put out an episode. Uh, it was a, a special premium episode for our Substack subscribers. Uh, and I encourage everyone, if you didn't get a chance to, to please uh, go back and listen to this episode with Arash Azizada and Sarah Sahim talking about the, the forever war in Afghanistan, this announcement of the Afghanistan withdrawal. It was really great to connect with both of them about that. Very good episode. If you're not subscribed over on Substack, uh, make sure that you are subscribed so you can have access to all this content we are shifting to this uh this release strategy of of doing one-offs uh of these premium episodes and regular episodes so if you want to get the full insurgents experience that's how you have to do it. you have to subscribe on substack check out the previous episode uh, about afghanistan it's very good um but that's what we did last week and we are here this week with Darna noor who is a staff writer at earther and we're talking about the climate stuff, the the Earth Day Climate Summit that just happened. We had a really great conversation with Darna Noor this week.
1: Yeah, she rocks. Um her yeah. reporting is great. I one of the people I look to for good climate reporting. Um because so much of the so much of that beat is like typically very deferential to the Biden administration. Because yeah, sure, by comparison, they're great compared to Trump, but like it's it's insufficient if we want to adequately tackle climate change in the time frame we need to. Um, but it's just like the benefit of being the immediate predecessor or the immediate, like the person who follows, uh, Trump. So what is the word for that? My mind just went blank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're really putting me on the spot there trying to kind of guess the word that you're trying to think of.
1: Six, successor.
0: Yes. Yes. Man, I'm um, an idiot today. That's okay. Yeah, no it, problem. Yeah. I know you've, I'm you just saying. had a, you've had a long day doing this stuff. I know you're just doing deep dive when on uh, Young Turks. Just before we we did. Thanks for the
1: plug, Rob. No problem. My pleasure. (laughs) Aman Aman Saleh, who is a fucking kick ass, she was on a hunger strike for 23 days uh, to shine a light on and call for an end to the US backed Saudi blockade in Yemen that is starving people. They're not letting oil into the country. The Saudis aren't, with the assistance of the United States. They're not letting oil into the country, which means they can't, you know, (laughs) gas up trucks they can't run generators at hospitals and as a result they can't move food around the country well i'm pretty so sure the u.s is uh, is
0: denying the oil entry defensively though so uh,
1: yeah exactly, that's, exactly. It's, it's a defensive strategy it's a, right In it's a defensive
0: uh blockade of these vital vital services <laughs> and vital uh vital resources yeah
1: yeah but amanda's great she's been on multiple times she was on multiple times during her hunger strike she at the like urging of her doctor has wrapped it up and now they're pivoting to other campaign tactics but they're great Yemeni liberation movement they're out of Michigan they they fucking rock uh, can't like support them enough Uh it was a lot of fun so yeah if you catch the VOD from today we had a lot of fun because she's she's eating again she's with her family and we were dancing and joking around it yeah, was very fun that's nice if you wanna see me dance it's on there <laughs>
0: very, very cool <laughs> very cool and I do I do and in fact do want to see that so i am never going mind to, i'm gonna go
1: delete the thought. i'm gonna
0: do that um i don't know what else is there to get into like there i feel like there's so much going on there is the whole derek chauvin trial uh that happened i feel like this is a whole separate episode i don't really want to like get into this subject now in the few minutes we have here before we bring on uh, darna um but I, I it just it's worth pointing out that i feel like you know, American police are just as out of control as ever. They've been there's a bunch of cases now of, of police killings just in the last couple of weeks while this trial was going on. While they're waiting for the verdict, Columbus police uh, killed a female black teenager. Uh, it's just it, it's so fucking out of control. It's so hard to take this seriously as as some positive development of justice when nothing systemic about this issue is being changed in any way. Uh, As we pointed out repeatedly, you have Biden just basically still promising to um, give more money to police for training and things like this. And just after a certain point, we have to just completely reject this entire approach. But um, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen in the mainstream level of the Democratic Party anytime soon. And I just I don't know what the solution is. It's very fucking grim. Uh, We should definitely it's definitely something we're going to cover more in depth in the next couple of weeks. Um, But I, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do about this
1: yeah um there's concerns around the continuation of the 1033 program which gives military surplus gear to police departments i mean biden had pledged to return to the obama era approach but which they didn't really institute till the very end right. <laughs> of his administration after for years loading them up with fucking m and f- tanks and every just bullshit um but we'll see we'll see how they respond to that but like as so often is the case, and you'll hear throughout even the conversation um, with Darna, it's a lot of just promises. It's a lot of claims. It's a lot of we will. Until we see action, it doesn't fucking matter. So we'll see. Remains to be seen. But yes, like Rob said, it's not something we can really sufficiently do. Um, and we thought about how we would approach it. And we just also didn't really, it didn't feel right for just he and I to talk about it. Um, so we want somebody who you would benefit from hearing from um to join us to talk about that and like the broader implications
0: yes uh so stay tuned for that um again it's a whole separate episode so we don't need to, to dive into this like huge huge broad topic right now um in fact why don't we bring on darna now we had a really great conversation with darna noor about this earth day climate summit um, let's get to that. Cause I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And I think we, we went to a pretty good place with this one. What do you think, yep. Jordan? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So Darna Noor will be joining the show right after this.
1: Joined by Darna Noor, who is a writer with uh, Earther, which is Gizmodo's uh, climate uh, vertical. Uh, Darna, we we kick off every episode with the you know an important question. We ask everybody this, so we, just, so we know who we're dealing with, what kind of person we're dealing with.
0: Get it um, all out there.
1: Yeah, we just we 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 break the ice really fast. Um, it's a tough one, uh, but Darna, are you a gamer? Oh,
2: damn! Hard-hitting questions. <laughs> No, like not, literally oh. not at all. Um, I'm so sorry. I've like never even had a game
0: that's console
2: in my life. I'm so sorry, y'all. Um, If you want me to leave, I can. Do
1: you, <laughs> you want to keep going with this, Rob? I'm, I'm thinking about it. it on, I'm kind else. of on the on the
0: fence on this right now. Never? No, oh, well, that's he okay. Never... <laughs> Your parents didn't, you didn't get one of those like off-brand, you know, off-brand consoles or even those little, you remember those little handheld devices that were just like the little, it's yeah. basically just moving a little... Digital picture like up and down. No, I mean I. Those things. Yo, the only and thing football. I think I
2: had was like a Gigapet. That's like truly.
0: Okay. It. I mean, I've like obviously I've
2: played video games at like other people's houses, but I'm definitely not a gamer. I don't know like. Okay. Anything. We'll um.
0: Gigapet. I'm looking. I'm looking at the judges, and they say Gigapet counts. So. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> you are.
1: You are in fact a gamer. See, everybody's a gamer, which is the yeah. point of the show. Yeah, it was a
2: hardcore gamer. <laughs>
1: yeah. We got those banned, the Tamagotchis were banned at my school. Um, there was like a rich kid at our school who had like 10 all on like oh, a keychain. He would like cook them all to like a little like belt hook, <laughs> like, like grappler a farm. Hook thing, yeah. And he would, yeah, he had like a bunch just to <laughs> flaunt his Tamagotchi like family. And it's just like that just
0: seems difficult, that's a lot of work. <laughs>
2: It's like the rolly of like a third grade or
0: whatever. And now it's cool because now if you want to, if you want to get back into Tamagotchi, all you have to do is get a job with Amazon in the Amazon warehouse. (laughs) and You get one of those little, you get a little pet and when you do your tasks with a certain level of productivity, uh, they feed it and they let it, you know, have little perks and stuff. And that's how you keep it alive. It's wonderful. Be your own
2: Tamagotchi. I
1: love it. Darn it. We're, we're, we're happy to have you here jokes aside um because you you are you have been like out front on climate reporting and, and reporting in general in the green space as we see a shift in people's um you know willingness to think about consider more robust climate uh, initiatives and policies and proposals and you've also you're you know probably the i think the first person that i saw who did critical reporting of the biden administration's uh, corporate friendly uh appoint appointees uh and and staff uh and i remember like when cedric richmond was tapped as like a liaison with the clim- with like the climate space or climate activists um i remember you had the piece you had like the the piece that kind of synthesized his record and how he never talked about uh, air pollution despite coming from one of the most t- t- populated uh census tracts uh districts with the most populated s- s- yeah so you i i have always appreciated your reporting um so it's like really it's really exciting to have you here as we you know we celebrated earth day last week and now we're seeing a bunch of um pushes for you know, we've got the Thrive, uh, the Thrive Act and the Thrive Agenda now introduced or proposed, and we've got the, uh, the Green New Deal reintroduced and all of these initiatives and Build Back Better to take on uh, climate change. Uh, but let's, I guess, let's start with like uh, this this summit last week that we were just trying to figure out the name of, which we'll just refer to as the Earth Day Summit. Um, what, what are some of your takeaways uh, and what are some of uh, the things that people should understand as we... Are now with all these different proposals on the table where do things seem to be going and where where is the energy kind of aligning behind is there like one or two green proposals for the biden administration that seem to be kind of like the front runners
2: yeah um so thanks so much for having me all that's uh really that's all really kind of you to say um the earth day summit was i think sort of like indicative of the things that are good and bad about the biden administration's climate policy in general um like i think maybe my number one takeaway was that we really have to like actually drill down on specifics and short term goals and things like words are really nice and all but pledges themselves don't actually draw down carbon emissions surprisingly um like saying that you're going to do something doesn't actually do it it turns out um and so that's true for, like, you know, a lot of different countries, um, a lot of different countries have made these bold pledges uh, to international climate policy, and then they've fallen short, um, either of their own pledges, or or those pledges have fallen short of what's needed. Um, so, you know, the Biden administration came out and was like, oh, we're gonna um, draw down carbon emissions by like 50%, which, by, you know, 50% from 2005 levels, uh, which is a huge, you know, compared to what we've had before, that's like a really big deal. However, compared to what we actually need to do, um, that's just like, you know, peanuts, basically, Um, particularly when we consider that the United States is like the biggest historical emitter of greenhouse gases in history, like responsible for almost a quarter of all carbon emissions ever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, lots of like comparatively really bold promises. Uh, that still do not come anywhere close. Um, So that's, you know, kind of one top line thing. I guess maybe another one is, uh, (laughs) man, on the second day of the climate summit, one of the first people or the first person to speak actually was Bill Gates. So like, yeah, I know. (laughs) So on the one hand, these like bold uh, emissions targets or, you know, at least bold compared to what we've seen, maybe not bold compared to what we need, on the other hand, like, and the way we're going to get there is by putting Bill Gates in charge of, like, developing clean energy, which just, you know, does not bode super well for uh, workers or, like, you know, the global south in general or, you know, <laughs> just just pretty, pretty troubling.
0: Yeah, I love how Bill Gates, this uh, software developer... Has now, I guess, become the arbiter of what we're doing with green energy. He's become—he's the one who decides, apparently, whether these global South countries get access to vaccines. Apparently, uh, I don't know. No one ever actually voted for this guy to be in this position, but it's amazing that somehow, somehow, Bill Gates has managed to put himself at the the center, front and center of all these conversations. And it's like, how did this happen? You know, it's that's crazy.
2: exactly the like. No one voted for him. Is exactly right. Like I, I mean, even if. And I don't, obviously, but like, even if I thought that Bill Gates had some like great ideas or whatever for like how to take on the climate crisis in a just way, which I don't think he does, like who exactly is going to make sure that he does anything that he promised? Like his job is not he's not accountable to any of us, obviously. Right. So,
0: yeah, well, I imagine what what people like Bill Gates really want is for, you know, the the United States government and other governments around the world to pour billions and billions of dollars into research and development to figure out, you know, to go after like these elusive technologies and the innovation we always hear about, like carbon capture and these these things that are supposed to help alleviate this crisis, um, and then of course uh, hand over the uh, the research and development to private companies so they can then use that to profit um, from these kind of technologies that that the governments are developing.
2: Yeah, hundred percent, and that's something that we've seen from you know sort of in general the Biden administration's uh, like climate proposals, um, the big infrastructure plan. There's lots of money, or at least there's lots of money again compared to what we've seen before. But how is that money getting distributed? And in the case of the Biden administration, a lot of the times the answer is like in public-private partnerships, uh, which I don't know why the profit motive should have to come into like taking on the most urgent challenge of our time. But you know that's that's Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Because I wanted to zero in on something you were saying there, which is that you know Biden's been getting a lot of kind of credit, I think, for these like bold. This bold agenda that he's putting forward, and this this uh, Earth Day climate summit was an example of this. And I think we can say um, we can take a look at some of the things Biden has done, like bring them back into the Paris agreements, and and setting this bold these bold targets for emissions reductions. Um, but I think after a certain point, we have like you pointed out, we have to start asking ourselves like what are we actually doing? Like at, at what point are we just giving? Are we just saying the words? Are we saying the words that people want to hear while not actually backing that up with action? And it's amazing when you look at the the long list now of different climate summits and meetings and these different events that have happened all these governments have come together to talk about this and and make these kind of targets uh and you put these on a timeline along with our global emissions you see the number just continuing to rise after all these summits and all these meetings and all these bold promises um, so to a certain point, we have to start asking our leaders, like, what are they actually going to do about this? Uh, and is it going to go beyond just words? Uh, and that's why I have a hard time like, getting excited about anything Biden or Justin Trudeau is saying, you know, I'm in Canada, and it's been the same kind of a thing. Um, we've made all kinds of promises about the climate over the last couple of decades. We've not abided by any one of these promises. Um, you know, the Paris Agreement was a, a, a big part of the news. It was a big part of, uh, you know, the Trump administration's climate policy. Everyone made a big deal about uh, uh about that about leaving the Paris agreement and then Biden rejoining it. Well Canada never left the Paris agreement. We never we made those uh, agreements. Uh, we never left and meanwhile none of the none of the targets we've set are we're not anywhere near achieving any of these targets. We've just continued to increase our emissions. We're on pace for our 2030 Paris emissions targets. Uh, to hit those in like 200 years or something like that. So there were just no, you know, it makes no difference whether we've been in the Paris Agreement or not because we're not backing up these words with actual action. And that's what I feel like uh, we can't, we can't like let ourselves be impressed by Biden's bold agenda that he's setting if we're, if like with the history of the last couple of decades of these kinds of agreements um, have shown that it hasn't really meant anything in terms of our our actual uh, emissions reductions, which is what we should be focusing on.
2: Totally. And like, I mean, I think that there are some things that Biden will follow through on in terms of, like, increasing the output of renewable energy. Like, I feel pretty confident that that we really are going to see, like, more, like, electric vehicles and solar panels and things like that. But the question is, like, is that just additive or are you actually going to do anything to start winding down the polluting industry? It's like, do you just have... A shitload of oil and gas, and then also some wind, like some wind turbines. Or do you also like you know shut down fossil fuel companies, um, start transitioning like big corporate uh, agriculture to you know more regenerative forms of of agriculture and things like that? Um, and then obviously, again, that goes back into like who exactly is going to be making money off of the um, you know doling out the the clean energy and all those things? Um, I think you know one thing that we've seen. So far from the Biden administration is this like, I mean, I'm like not trying to be crass or whatever, but really like an America first type policy, like, you know, it, this, uh, maybe the clearest example is the um, kind of ramping up uh, tensions with China, this whole like, oh, we need to out-compete China um, to uh, be like the the winners of like the the new green economy or whatever. Um, and there's been like some back and forth there. There's been some times where... You know, they put out a joint statement with China um, about a week ago now where they said that they'd cooperate. So there's been some, like, reasons to maybe think that everything won't be so horrible. But, like, I mean, why are we competing with China? Because we're trying to be the ones who are making the profit off of clean energy. Like, we're put, we're making profit the important part of the, the energy transition, um, not only for us, but for, like, the nations we're going to be buying the technologies from us. Um, so yeah i mean america america first foreign policy is not anything that i'm particularly interested in seeing continue in climate policy
1: Mm -hmm. the the you you touched on it earlier the the bill gates thing um i find just so peculiar but it also kind of intersects with uh, another thing that um has popped up somewhat related to climate but so bill gates you know i think part of why he is kind of thrust toward the forefront in this conversation is because he has been uh, outspoken about ending meat consumption. You know, beef is such a hazardous, wasteful uh, industry. Uh, You you just use so, so, so much water to produce like a pound of beef. It's just so wasteful. Uh, Plus, on on top of all of the ecological hazards from um, meat production and just like, oh, just absolutely repugnant, yeah, and everything about it, but now if we see this week, and I don't want to get too much into like the, oh, look at these right-wing losers trying to like own the libs, but like there's conversations around like reducing meat consumption or like banning beef uh, in a more hysterical uh, reactionary uh, narrative. But like there are conversations about reducing meat consumption and Bill Gates had had invested in companies like Beyond Meat, I think that was the one he invested in. Um, because like, what what is this whole issue about uh, obviously we, the right isn't being honest or forthcoming about what is actually um at stake but the ethics and, and and environmental with a specific uh focus on environmental consequences what what is actually going on here with with the beef consumption issue
2: um well I mean I don't know it's like kind of maybe obvious to say but like the whole like there's nothing actually in Biden's climate plans about like banning individual people from eating meat um that's just not it's just not the case <laughs> um uh but beyond that like i think i mean the like the lab meat or like fake meat things it's, it's a really interesting question because in some sense like there should be policies to limit meat production like i mean and not even just for ecological reasons like you know beef production, um, and for that matter, also, like, chicken production, dairy farms and things are responsible for tons of greenhouse gas emissions, they use up tons of land, but also they're, like, really horrible industries to work in, um, notorious for, like, labor exploitations, things like that. So, like, it's not that we should not be considering policies that would, like, limit the production of meat. Um, The question is just how you do that, right? So, like, I don't know. I personally am kind of agnostic on the, like, fake meat stuff. I mean, I think that maybe there could be a role for like some of it although it seems that on aggregate like these impossible burger and beyond burger and shit can actually produce tons of carbon emissions too i mean half as many as meat production but still like that's not great um that's a lot less than if we just ate like you know mushrooms and spinach and shit um but i mean yeah like i i could be convinced i guess that there could be some like public sector expansion of research and development into these like fake meats and lab meats and things. Maybe there's ways to reduce those carbon emissions. But like, who, again, who gets to make money off of them? Who gets to control how much they cost and who has access to them? Um, you know, we obviously saw with like the Yellow Vest protests in France, um, and then more recently, with the uh, Pete Buttigieg saying that he was going to impose like a mileage tax We've seen how terrible an idea it is to just sort of impose like pollution taxes on ordinary people. Um, And I think that forcing people to pay for eating burgers or something would not be a very good way of going about that.
0: Yeah, ultimately this idea of like offloading the, the responsibility of dealing with the decarbonization to like individual consumer choices. Uh, it's pretty much a lose-lose situation because it just, like, uh, pisses people off tremendously, like we saw with the Yellow Vest protests, and leads to this kind of backlash. And it's interesting, the um, the, the whole, uh, like, meat controversy from this week. It's it's frustrating to see these things play out because you see the very bad faith way that conservatives spin this stuff. They kind of invent this fake story out of thin air about Biden wanting to ban meat. And then it provokes this kind of, like, counter-reaction where they say, no, of course we don't want to do that. And um, you know we saw the same thing with fracking, like when Biden showed hesitancy with fracking, and it's like, well, Joe Biden wants to ban fracking, and then he has to kind of respond by saying, oh no, no, of course I love fracking, I, fracking's the best, I think it's great. Um, it's the same thing, and then so we have to have this conversation where it's like, oh, these conservatives are being ridiculous by inventing this fake controversy about banning meat, but then that limits our ability to have a like actual serious conversation about the fact that we do indeed do need to limit our consumption of these products, and we do need to completely reform the way that we our whole food production system uh which is which is great which is creating the problem and then it there this kind of like back and forth that develops from this the the conservatives and their bizarre, bizarre kind of uh overreaction to then the backlash it, it obscures this very real serious conversation we should be having
2: yeah for sure and i, I mean like not to blame this on obviously like the environmental movement at large or whatever but like part of the reason i think that the um like hysterical response to any like mention of hamburgers and shit works is because like for so long there has been this association of climate policy with austerity. Like with, you know, just being like, oh well actually people, like regular people can have less, without obviously considering that like um, you know, rich people emit far, far more in their daily lives than than poor people do. Um rich countries, rich nations emit far more than than poorer countries do. Um, but like, there's a reason, I mean, part of the reason it works, I think, is because people are so used to being outraged by being told what they can't have. And in fact, I think that as we've seen through, you know, proposals under the Green New Deal and other things like it, um, there's so much opportunity actually for like, joy and human flourishing and stuff that could come out of climate policy that has nothing to do with just, you know, like policing people's behavior or telling people that they, they can't have the things that they want.
1: And you probably know more about this, but for people who aren't familiar, could uh, th- could you, I guess, could you talk about how BP and other uh, <laughs> companies push this like carbon footprint bullshit to push responsibility back on the consumers instead of them, like the main drivers of, of you know, carbon emissions and pollution?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. Basically, <laughs> um, like <laughs> the, the whole idea of the carbon po- co- uh, carbon footprint thing was. I think actually it started from a 1970s or something ad um, from BP. uh, And like, I mean, the way that people now talk about carbon footprints is obviously always in terms of like what individual people can do, like turning off the water or like uh, making sure you like get more efficient light bulbs or whatever. I don't think that there isn't place for or rather i guess i think that there is a place maybe for like doing things individually like if you feel like it if it makes you remember that there's the potential to have a better world out there or whatever but like no amount of people (laughs) like individually reducing their pollution or anything is obviously going to come
0: close to yeah it really does like it really does make me feel physically ill when i see these companies that are like we knew that climate change was happening in the early 70s. Our own scientists confirmed this. Our own scientists confirmed that it was our own behavior that was leading to this. Uh, we deliberately co- covered this up. We uh, you know, funded junk science. We funded conservative media to obscure this, uh, to ensure that we can continue to, to uh, do this pollution regardless of what the consequences were, which we, which we knew full well. Um, that to me is a serious crime, like not only just something immoral, but a serious crime. And you have now these companies saying like, hey, we're all in this together. You know, we all mm-hmm. have to do our part. And it's like, no, we're not in this together. Oh, yeah, this is, you did this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stay. It makes me so angry. Yeah,
2: it's really why Oh my God. And then like to see uh, in like the mid 2000s, BP had this whole thing where you could like use a calculator to see like your own personal carbon footprint based on all of the things that you use as though obviously like as though the things that you use are not like as though you have some kind of like immense choice in the matter, like not, I drive a car because I have to drive a car to get to work every day. And like, I drive a cheap car because I can't afford an expensive one that uses less fuel. And, you know, there's no bus line or train around me. So I'm doing this every single day. Um, And as though BP is not part of the reason that we have like such immense dependence on fossil fuels and, and other, you know, <laughs> lovely, yeah. lovely like polluting aspects of our lives.
0: Well, like American culture is completely designed to ensure that that is the only option for people. It's been specifically designed that people have to have cars. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. So
1: also I saw something this week that I don't know, just like a flurry of like really bizarre stories and gaffes and I don't I mean some element of misinformation, but just like really I don't know, this week has just been like a perfect encapsulation of how like kind of chaotic the environmental policy space can be um, even like, <laughs> which I'm sure you know all too well. and It's probably very frustrating for you, with someone with like a level with a level headed view of it all. Uh, but there was even a story in in the Times this week that really dismissed the role methane emissions from fracking plays uh, in in climate change, and how they kind of framed it as a clean uh, alternative to uh to coal and other hazardous processes and 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 energy sources um rob mentioned earlier like biden is not going he's committed to not banning fracking i mean i've talked about it on the show a lot i grew up in Northeast Ohio um, and was there for the fracking boom. And I lived you know, near the Marcellus and Utica shale formations. And I remember the wave of earthquakes and people dumping waste in fucking rivers, like just co- a- a- gas companies getting caught dumping waste in rivers. They don't give a shit like that's a the thing. They don't fucking care about people who live in the areas. So they're there to make as much money as possible. They'll cut every corner they can until they get caught. And they just want to maximize profit. This idea that it's going to create some job boom is a total farce. Uh, but this, this idea that it's a, it is a clean alternative to something like coal is also untrue. Um, do you see, is there any movement at all on even like curtailing fracking? I mean, at least not that this is like, you know, something huge, but at least like Gavin Newsom is like considering, uh, not, uh, issuing any new, uh, permits but that's like way down the line, I guess, like something like setting California up for like no more after 2030. But like, these are just like, kicking the can down the road. So is there any traction on on fracking in general uh, in the Biden administration?
2: I mean, there's, I think in general, like the whole question of not just fracking specifically, but like the whole question of what we do with natural gas is a big, like, you know, a big sort of uh, uncharted territory for the Biden administration. And like, there's a bit of, um, I don't know, like one day, you'll hear something about like, the Biden administration meeting with groups that are pushing for an end to um, to natural gas expansion. The next day, there'll be some press release that like includes gas in the same category as things like wind and solar. Um, I mean, I think that the uh, the news out of California is actually a pretty good example of like the kinds of the kinds of policies we can expect. Where like, yeah, banning like new oil and gas expansion by 2045, I think it is, is, again, a big deal because like California is obviously a big, um, big producer of these things. But it's just so not in line with what the climate science says that we need to do um, at all. And, uh, you know, there's there's the question not only of what happens with natural gas uh, in the U.S., but also like what is the Biden administration going to do when it comes to other countries uh, expanding their natural gas, natural gas infrastructure? Um, I think it was just last year or something. Kerry was seen meeting with leaders in Vietnam saying that he like encouraging them to up their natural gas infrastructure. So, I mean, (laughs) Like and while obviously while he's over here being like, I'm a climate champion, um <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's yeah <laughs> Um Well it's another thing too that makes me a little bit skeptical about all this stuff, even if you can point out things that Biden has has put forward which are kind of encouraging. Um, you know, like we pointed out during the campaign that even though he was like basically campaigning against the Green New Deal uh, he did have some encouraging things in, in his climate policy that he was putting forward. Uh, a lot of this was advanced this week. And you can look at these things individually and be like, yeah, if if this happens, I mean, this is nice. But this is the thing where it's like, Not only do I doubt that this stuff will actually happen, that it is just words, but it also you have the American political system, which is like basically designed to ensure that things don't really ever change profoundly at all. And we're talking about this big, profound, drastic change that needs to happen in this very short span of time. It's literally its contrary to everything the United States government is supposed to be able to do. Um, And that's the other thing that we should all be keeping in mind is that regardless of what promises they're making, even if they have every intention on following through on this, it also uh, basically... Basically rely This whole plan relies on Democrats being in charge uh, indefinitely, essentially, for over the next 10, 15 years, which, as we've seen uh, previously over the past couple of uh, decades, uh, is not always a guarantee. There's not even guarantee that Biden's going to be the president after 2024, that the Democrats are going to have this level of power. Um, there's not at all a guarantee that some lunatic is not going to be, be, become president in 2024 and completely reverse uh, or uh, all the st- all the minor tweaks that Biden is making or double down on all the worst problems that are leading the crisis to get worse
2: and i I think that that like it brings up two really important things one is the importance of like short-term targets i mean it's great to say what you're going to do by 2050 or even 2030 but if you've got four years that you're in office like what exactly are you going to do in the next four years um what are the big commitments you're going to make and how are you going to stick to them and the other thing is just like making sure that I mean, he, that he does things to make climate policy popular. Like, nobody is going to want to vote for him again or, you know, another Democrat after him if uh, if climate is seen as, like, this big sort of flagship part of, um, you know, the Democratic Party's political campaigns and all that you ever get from what the climate plans are, are, like, we're going to stop you from doing X, Y, Z. Like, if you... There's so many opportunities to tie climate policy to things like increasing affordable housing or like you know improving schools or like you know roads and infrastructure that people rely on like you can give people things when you uh, enact serious climate policy but i mean i don't think that anyone's going to be all that excited about hearing about the i don't know deployment of like whatever some like super wonky climate plan or like hearing about bill gates's latest venture into developing carbon capture or anything like people want to hear about things that can actually help them in their everyday lives um and i don't think that i'm not sure that the biden administration is doing the best job of tying those things together i mean it's cool to see a president i guess talking about like how many jobs can be created by climate policy and things like that but even there i think that he could be going much much bigger um i mean if you look at for instance the differences between his plans and some of the plans that came out of uh, the squad last week, like the Green New Deal type plans, uh, you can see that <laughs> he's clearly not not uh, taking taking the, the biggest steps that he could be.
0: Okay, so another thing that I wanted to, to ask about as well, and something that we have to bring up if we're talking about uh, U- the United States reducing their emissions, is the U.S. military, right? Yeah. And that is another thing where you, I, I wanted to point this out when you mentioned this earlier, this kind of zeroing in on the, on the sort of China threat as a sort of example of how we of how we need to like approach this subject, so you have you have them using China in for this in this way in a couple of different ways right now. Um, number one, when they're saying like, well, we have to be, we have to produce this green energy and we have to we have to be part of this green economy in order to compete with 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 China who are doing the same thing, and they're also saying, oh, uh, China is is growing and modernizing their military, so that's why we, we need to keep up and we need to modernize our military, even though like. I'm pretty sure it's pretty fucking modern. The U.S. military already—they're uh, already spending more than than any, any of their other nearest military. competitors combined, exactly. Um, and they're like, believe the U.S. military is one of the biggest carbon emitters on the planet. So the, the biggest, can, yeah, the biggest. Okay, I didn't want to—I didn't want to say if I didn't uh, know for sure, but that's right. So that's the thing. It's like you can't really have this climate policy. It's completely incoherent when you're saying, oh, of course we want to hit these green targets. We want to invest in this these green jobs and infrastructure but we're also going to spend 700 billion dollars every single year in our military and maintaining this costly empire that's also you know the number one source of carbon emissions in the entire world you can't really they're kind of mutually exclusive these two ideas but no one seems to be grasping this
2: yes i'm i'm so glad that you brought this up um this is something that i find like really frustrating is and i think it maybe comes from just like decades of environmental policy sort of being siloed but like if you increase the million, like the Pentagon's budget, even if you're increasing it by less than Trump would have increased it or less than Trump did increase it or whatever. I feel like that was like a big headline a couple. Um,
0: it's still increasing. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. There was all this like, oh, well, you know what, he's increasing it, but less than the last guy did. So that's good. Um, I and you're right, it's totally incompatible with with climate policy. I mean, the united states is the single institutional largest emitter of greenhouse gases and then also the single largest uh consumer of fossil fuels like uses more fossil fuels than a bunch of like mid-sized countries um so i mean <laughs> like what i don't i mean what exactly do you think that the the threat is then like biden administration do you think that the threat is some like sort of nebulous uh nebulous conflict with china or like you know russia or something or is the threat the climate crisis and if it's the second one then there's really no excuse for continuing to up the up the pentagon budget
1: um i think that's a good example of how climate policy just intersects with all these different aspects of society and another one with another like a concurrent piece of legislation uh is the Pro Act. And I think people, climate activists have been doing a really good job of pointing out how those two go hand in hand, because with the PRO Act comes more favorable uh, labor regulations and labor guidelines that makes it easier to form a union. But the reason that jobs in like oil and gas are so lucrative is because they're all heavily unionized sectors. So if we have a a PRO Act that makes it easier to form a union, uh, that just means better paying jobs in solar uh, and wind. So, I mean, these two go hand in hand to create a more just, vibrant, green economy. I mean, we need both. They can't just be piecemeal.
2: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I talked to uh, Jamal Bowman about this, actually, like when the House was considering the legislation. Um, and, you know, the fossil fuel sector is actually the vast majority of workers in that sector aren't unionized either. Um, but it's true that, like, having a unionized position in any sector including fossil fuels makes it a whole lot harder to think about giving up your job um, so yeah a hundred percent i mean i also think just like anything that makes it easier to leave your job like medicare for all i think is another good example of this where like if you don't have healthcare tied to employment it's a lot easier to start talking about what it would look like to have a new green economy or, or like how to take care of workers when you're shutting down these massive sectors um things like this I think that until we start talking about real worker protections like that, it's just going to be the same, like, you know, either we have climate policy or we have employment myths that we've had forever. And, you know, obviously Biden has been talking a big game again about like, oh, the climate policy can create jobs. We're going to create so many jobs. We're going to create jobs, but like, what kind of jobs are you talking about? Are you talking about jobs that are unionized? You're going to talk about jobs that have like, actual livable wages. Um, so I I definitely agree. I think that yeah, it's been it's been really cool to see environmental organizers kind of uh coalesce around the the pro act organizing. It's been a real bright spot, I think. And I i think also it's like a important to make those inroads with the unions we're gonna be losing workers um when, you know, the big shutdowns are like when the big shutdowns start happening, when um, you know when we transition away from oil when we transition away from gas and coal as is already happening um obviously like as we have more climate policies those things will be all the more important but i think it's also important to remember that like the fossil fuel sector is already laying off workers in droves and especially has been since the start of the pandemic you know so yeah it's already a very good time for fossil fuel workers to have rights it's already a really good time for Um, More jobs in the new green economy to be unionized and like it's only going to get more important as we move forward.
0: Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to also bring up uh, this, this, the way that like uh, the developing world gets brought up in this conversation as well, which is like, uh, not a very helpful framing, I think, um, where often. You know often when we talk about global emissions this i know this the way that the media covers this uh this uh climate this earth day climate summit was similar to this they never miss a breath to ensure that we all know that that china is the number one uh emissions emitter and the united states and then india and uh, i think there's like kind of unhelpful on a number of levels like um for one i um in you know, china the population is five times as much as the united states mm-hmm. Um, so per capita, it's the state's, uh, is the number one emitter. It's also like you mentioned cumulative, like the o- overall, the, the amount of carbon that's been poured into the atmosphere by the United States greatly outweighs that of anyone else. Um, and I think on a number of levels also, it's just, it's important that, um, if we recognize the economics decisions that were taken, uh, in the sort of neoliberal era where in the West and the U S and Canada, and these Western nations, we basically Offshored our entire manufacturing sector to the developing world, (laughs) places like China and India and elsewhere. And then so it's a little bit hypocritical now, when we're kind of like lecturing these countries for contributing to this, uh, this carbon emissions problem, when a lot of the time not it's not the exclusive reason, obviously, China's building lot tons of infrastructure and, and rail and, and cities and all kinds of things like this. But you know, they're also building products uh, and, and making products in factories that we are purchasing for cheap, because we're addicted to this cheap stuff that we're getting from China. And we have been uh, throughout the like neoliberal era. Totally. Um, yeah, it's. Still, I just. I feel like it's an unhelpful way of framing that when we. And it's an. It becomes an excuse for people, especially conservatives, to say like, "Well, why do we need to cut our emissions? Look at China. Look at India. Uh, when they're when they're even worse than we are."
2: No, I, I I totally agree. The whole the whole question of like, I mean, just like globalization makes it really hard to pin responsibility on nations for emissions, right? And I think that that means that it's like part of the reason that. There's just a shitload of carbon emissions that nobody is accounting for. Um, But yeah, like, I mean, Foxconn is a Taiwanese company, but they're producing stuff for Apple. That's not really factored into like the United States carbon impact at all. Um, So, but in what sense is like Foxconn really a Taiwanese company then when it's basically like a subsidiary of a, of a U.S. company? Um, So no, for sure. I think that the, the scapegoating is pretty, pretty wild, um, another example of this is like the united states offshores a bunch of its plastic pollution and then says like oh all the plastic in the ocean is coming from china when in fact a lot of that actually originates in the united states um so yeah i mean i think that it is gonna be really interesting to see like how that how that pans out um to see whether or not like you know anyone in the biden administration can overcome that sort of scapegoating to actually work with china one kind of encouraging thing, I guess, is that Kerry, who's obviously Biden's like climate czar, is a bit less hawkish on, um, you know, on China stuff than some other folks in the in the administration like, you know, Blinken, etc. Um, but but for sure, I mean, I think, <laughs> yes, it's very important to remember that there are emissions that are originating in China that are like, you know, generated because of the shit that the U.S. is asking for.
0: Yeah, like it, it kind of goes into, I, I kind of started to pay attention to these like climate buzzwords that um, that leaders of countries use that, you know, or like when they're being kind of like, uh, not unserious serious, but what the plans are, like when they talk about innovation, we hear about innovation, they're just factoring in these like fake technologies that don't exist uh, into our future plans. And basically like counting that towards our uh, towards our plans. Um, yeah. And That is kind of another thing is net zero. We hear hear about net zero a lot too, which is another kind of uh, way that like political leaders are able to obfuscate this issue talking about net zero, which in a lot of the cases is just about like moving numbers around and like kind of like, you know... If we're not actually decreasing global emissions, but we just have the U.S. and Canada and these other countries kind of like claiming less than what they really are, or like moving numbers around so it, it doesn't count towards our emissions, we're not actually doing anything to confront the confront the problem.
2: No, totally. And sometimes it's actually even worse than doing nothing. Like there's been cases, for instance, where uh, countries will say like, oh, I'm going to offset, we're going to offset our emissions by like planting a bunch of trees somewhere. And then in order to make room to plant those trees, they'll like displace thousands of indigenous people from the place that they live in order to make room for them. Um, So yeah, like it's at best doing nothing. It's at best just like, you know, shirking some of your responsibility. And at worst, it's actually violent. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's, I prefer that we just didn't, that we just owned up to um, our own emissions because at least it would be easier to hold the United States accountable versus being like, oh, well, we're going to, you know it's it's fine we're going to displace some people to, to plant some trees over somewhere else
0: yeah well it was amazing with justin trudeau i mean he's i saw him at this climate summit and he's talked about the one billion trees oh, yeah. we're pledging to plant one billion trees and he says this and he looks so self-satisfied oh, and yeah. it's like, like he's been in power here in canada five years not one goddamn tree has been planted <laughs> um so it's like again it just goes back to the thing of like at what point do we still need to keep taking people like joe biden and justin trudeau seriously when they say this stuff when there's just so much evidence that none of their words are actually having any impact um of course we're doing the indigenous displacement we're doing that part but we're not actually following through on the uh, on the on the tree thing um and and that's why i just get i'm starting to get really fed up with powerful people like this who have ability to make these big profound changes um you know, asking to uh, get a big pat on the back for using the right words and, and talking about this, but not actually doing anything. That's It's becoming ever more frustrating the closer we get to this crisis, uh, you know, really uh, getting out of control.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I, I also kind of fear that like, we are so used to either like someone like Trump who doesn't even say that he's going to do anything and then doesn't um, or makes things worse or someone like Trudeau who makes promises and then doesn't follow through on them. That now, I think when we see anything happen, like I remember, I mean, on the first day of the, the, um, when Biden took office, right? Like when he took the White House, he signed all those climate executive orders. Um, he like rescinded the Keystone XL pipeline, put this moratorium on drilling. Um, that was cool. Yeah. Um, a moratorium for drilling and leases in the Arctic National, their Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like that's cool. But what about all the other ones? Like what about Dakota Access? What about Line Three? Like,
1: yeah wasn't wasn't there something recently that like the keystone pipeline is like they're still going there it's like a, it's in a review period now yeah, yeah. and so they're still actually like there's still you know oil flowing <laughs> through it but just like they're just they're going to review
0: it to yeah. yeah jason yeah. kenny and justin trudeau are doing the the dumb and dumber thing you're telling me there's a chance they're still <laughs> they were really not happy about that um exactly. yeah darna i know you have to go soon Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on and, and break this stuff down for us. We really appreciated it. it. It was great to talk to you. Do you want to just let everyone know where they can find your work um, yeah. and where they can find you online, all that stuff?
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. This was so fun. Um, I am I write on Earther, and you can find that at earther.gizmodo.com. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at my name, D-H-A-R-N-A, uh, on Twitter.
0: This was really fun. Thanks, y'all of course of course thanks for joining us yeah and that was again that was darna nor professional gamer you heard from just now. <laughs> exactly so we're happy to professional that's right yeah okay well thanks we'll, we'll talk to you soon darna thanks again
2: thanks so much y'all bye
0: thank you for listening to the insurgents please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps and please remember to leave a review on apple podcasts it's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot but please again don't mention ken Klippenstein in the review he is banned from the show it's a lifetime ban so please do not mention him in the review and we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love goodbye